Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar, because you are our God, and we will give thanks to you. You are our God, and we will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good, and God's steadfast love endures forever. Let us worship the Lord our God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. 
Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. You, O Lord, are Holy God, you know us completely, and you love us without reservation. You see clearly what is only yet becoming within us. Your love already has a hold on all that will ever become of us before it unfolds. O divine love, set us free from what is not love, and teach us to love what will set us free. May we come to see ourselves as you see us, as your beloved. We pray in the name of your child who was born out of love. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in the sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad to great and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is unequivocal. It's extended on behalf of Christ, and that means it is for everyone. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, kindly to sign the friendship tab, which you'll find on your pew. If you will sign your name and send it down and back again, we'll have the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of the service that we might speak to one another more personally. And likewise, I'd like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to the right of the pulpit and down a very short hallway where our deacons have prepared some light refreshment for us. But most importantly, we have the opportunity to engage with one another more deeply, more personally, with not just the hand of fellowship, but the opportunity to engage in conversation with one another. Which brings me to the first of the announcements I'd like to highlight this week, which is our upcoming series, Conversations Worth Having. Those of you who were around pre-pandemic will remember that was just getting started when the uh, pandemic uh, put a pause on it for a few years, but it is back now. And I am very pleased that Dr. Brian Blunt will be our Schneider lecturer. That lecture series honors George and Mary Schneider, longtime members of this congregation who died at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, we would he has a fascinating topic on how does the church engage both in how we read the Bible from the vantage point of our own look, outlook on life, while being very careful about the problem of Christian nationalism. It should be a very engaging topic. And as I said last week, we are only church if we are able to love one another enough to have the conversations that are worth having. So I invite everyone to mark your calendar for that on February the 17th. We do now have a time for that. It'll be from 10 to 2.30 or 3, whenever Dr. Blunt finishes. We'll provide lunch, and of course, Dr. Blunt will be our preacher the following day here in the worship service. Brian is one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my life, so I, I hope you'll plan to be here and mark your calendars to participate in our conversations worth having on February the 17th. I'd also like to note that we'll be having an usher training coming up soon, and if you've never served as an usher, this is an opportunity to get to know folks. If you feel like perhaps you worship at the periphery of the church and don't know everybody in the pews, please consider serving as an usher and coming to those usher training sessions, you may contact Michael Smith with any questions you have about that. His email address is in the bulletin. 
Aside from that, I will leave everything else for you to peruse at your website or to visit our church website. Peruse at your leisure or visit our church website for more information. And as always, look for your Monday morning e-news for updates on the life of the church for the week to come. With all these things noted, let us continue our worship now with our confession of sin. In our tradition, one of the first things we do each Sunday when we gather for worship is enter into a time of confession. We do this as a way of recognizing that we do not have anything to hide from God, as a way of trusting that God and our community can handle whatever we have to bring to the table. We do this not because we wish to stew in our sin, but to take an honest look about who we are and what we've done and to trust that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. So come, let us open ourselves to God and one another through our prayer of confession, first in unison and then in silence. Let us pray. Eternal God, with the tenderness of a nursing mother, you care for us. As a father has compassion on his children, so do you gather us under your wings. Great and mighty though you are, you choose to be with us and for us. You even created us in your image, giving us an identity as your beloved children and calling us to live a different way. But we have our own preferences. Given your grace, we look on others with judgment. Provided with all we need, we hoard our gifts. Created to love one another, we follow other commandments. Forgive us, we pray. Teach us again what it is to abide in your promises. For we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. good news of this day is that God is with us. God is in front of us, behind us, and to our side. God is in our past. God is in our future. From the tallest height to the lowest depth, in the morning, in the evening, in this very moment, God is here with us and will not let us go. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen for God's word for you. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominating, dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of John chapter 1. Listen again for God's word for you. The next day Jesus decide to, decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you come to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. May God add a blessing to these readings. Our Psalter lesson today is taken from the 139th Psalm, the first 18 verses. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, 
Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, for the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I tried to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Barbara Brown Taylor's memoir, An Altar in the World, she recounts stories of her father awakening her to wonderful things, particularly a shower of falling stars. I did not know then that they were called the Tears of St. Lawrence or that they returned every August. All I knew was that my father could be trusted when he told me there was something I needed to see. Some nights I'd been looking through a large book of photographs from Life magazine that had arrived in the day's mail. Other nights it meant climbing in the car with him to go find the fire that caused the orange glow in the sky. My father was such an accomplished chaser of fire engines that he could tell a brush fire from a house fire by the kind of smoke that it sent into the sky. On the night I am remembering, she goes on, he told me to pull the pale blue blanket off my bed and bring it onto the deck. The air was sweet and cool. The sky bristled with stars. 
After my father had folded the blanket in half, he lay down on it with his hands folded behind his head. Katie and I lay down beside him, one under each elbow, where we could smell the chapstick, tobacco, and strong coffee smell of our father. If he explained what we were looking for, I do not remember it either. All I remember is lying there beside him, looking into a sky I had never really looked into before, or at least never for so long. When I breathed in, I seemed huge to myself. I felt as much a part of the sky as a feather on a bird's belly. When I breathed out, I became so small I feared I might vanish. What was a seven-year-old girl under that great weight of stars? When the first one fell, we all grasped and clutched at each other. Did you see that? I did. Where did it go? To the other side of the moon. More and more stars fell as the night deepened. Some of them made clean arcs across the sky, while others disappeared before they had gone halfway. Watching them, I gained the understanding that the planet I was lying on looked like a star from somewhere else in the universe. It, too, might fall at any moment, taking me along with it. This understanding made my stomach flop even as it increased my investment in what was going on over my head. When my father woke me later, I couldn't believe that I had gone to sleep. How do you fall asleep with whole worlds plummeting before your eyes? When was the last time you felt that much wonder? When was the last time you felt that kind of security? The 139th Psalm is something of a hymn of awaking to the power and wonder of God. The psalmist marvels at all that God has done and marvels that God remains with her. How often do we pause and reflect and wonder over the reality that the God who created all that is and all that will ever be created you and me with the same care as the universe. To ponder on what God has done is to face that we exist within the surety of God's power and love, at least if we have any humility regarding ourselves and our purpose. And when I consider the text of today, two themes emerge. It is, I think, not overstating it, to declare that they are the heart of Christian discipleship. They are the very promises and demands that enlivened the faith of reformers like Luther and Calvin and civil rights leaders like King and Rustin 
and may do the same for you and me. The first is the unfailing presence of God. The second is the unequivocal calling to follow that God, to follow Jesus Christ, even and especially into an unknown future. There are any number of gradual or abrupt shifts in life circumstances that can leave us feeling bereft, disoriented, hurting, torn. Sure, we all know change is constant, but most of us require at least a minute or two to adjust. And I strongly suspect that those of us who easily lean into the future are comfortable doing so from the perceived security of the present. Wipe away that security, that stability, and most of us will cling to what we know rather than lean into something new. This is reasonable. Trust is foundational. Security of God is everlasting in a world where we could all bite the dust literally every single minute of every single day. The psalmist knew that. And those themes of security and calling are linked inextricably. The calling that Jesus places before us is not to follow an unknown God, but rather to come alongside Jesus Christ himself. Christ calls us not to go into the future alone, but with him beside us. That is the sort of security that the psalmist sings about. For many years, Diogenes Allen taught philosophy and theology at Princeton Theological Seminary. He was somewhat legendary for his exacting nature when it came to God talk, and I might add a bit curmudgeonly as well. Allen understood something that we all do well to remember. When we speak of God, we must do so from the vantage point of deepest humility, and caution. Because to do otherwise, glibly to prate on about our pet ideas and personal biases is not only to do violence to our understanding of God, but potentially to others' understanding of God as well. How we speak of God and faith matters. Ultimately, Alan came to see such posturing as blaspheming against God. Consequently, he began to see colleagues as enemies of God and found himself indulging in hatred, not just of their errors, but of them personally. Until it occurred to him that perhaps God did not regard his colleagues as enemies, even if he did. You can imagine what fun he was in faculty meetings. Knowing 
his attitude had no place in the Christian life, he sought a remedy. His remedy was to begin praying. His meditations led him to the realization that if God did not regard these people as enemies, neither should he. But his awareness did not stop at this realization. Dr. Allen continued in prayer. With continual prayer, he found not only that his attitudes changed, but he discovered something more. Finally, he wrote, the peace and joy that arise from this practice come from the presence of God in the Holy Spirit. Its tranquility can be compared to the harmonizing notes of the bass clef that are sounded more or less continually beneath a melody in the treble clef. God's peace and joy, bass clef, can thus coexist with many other thoughts and feelings, treble clef, and God's peace and joy can be brought to awareness by a simple shift of attention. This is one way we may have a habitual awareness of God. He concludes, it was my hunger for habitual presence that led me to the study of spirituality in the first place. Habitual awareness of the presence of God is a spiritual discipline that must be developed. Most of us do not simply awaken one day to know of God's presence. Instead, we are trained through Christian formation to see it. We condition ourselves to be aware of God's work where perhaps others see merely existence. And this is not the same as suggesting that we indulge in magical thinking that blithely attributes divine activity to what is simply a logical progression of activities, but rather that we become trained to see that the whole series of actions, whatever they are, take place within the providence of God. Which is to say, they rest in the security of God. But there's more. To rest in the security of God, to be hemmed in, as the psalmist was, is to know that God's activity is not dependent on our perception or even our acceptance of God's invitation. Importantly, God's participation in our lives is never dependent on our invitation. Stay with me. If all of creation rests in God's constant care, then not one thing rests outside of it. God, who calls us to follow, has always walked alongside us. The God who walks alongside us is the God who pursues us like a persistent lover.
the persistent lover is the God who will not rest until we come to awareness of the power of God in all the earth, indeed in all the universe. That is what it means to be the people of God. That is also the heart of redemption, the heart of inward repair of our deepest selves. Perhaps that is how Augustine comes to the words, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. There is a legend of a church in Switzerland, sometimes called the Mountain Valley Cathedral. I have scoured the web for evidence of it, but it seems it only exists in preachers' imaginations. It is described as having high arches, columns that float above the nave, stained glass windows that glow in the sunlight, and an extraordinary pipe organ. Now, pipe organs, you may recall from this last year, are always something of an exercise in alchemy. And there was just something about the metallurgy, or, or perhaps it was the reverberations within the room, or, or the rate of sound decay, whatever it was. The organ was reputed to be stunning in its tone and clarity, ethereal and wondrous. When played because of its position on the mountainside, it would ring out over the whole valley, filling it with beauty and song and joy. Until one day, the pipes went silent. No one could figure out what had gone wrong. The organ simply wouldn't sound. The leaders of the church brought in experts to try to fix their beloved organ, but it only got worse. Rather than sounding as it once had, each iteration of repairs only brought out worse characteristics of the instrument. It was perpetually out of tune. The pipes didn't sing. They groaned in disharmony. No one could stand to listen to it. An elderly woman came to the church one day and coaxed the sexton into allowing her access to the organ. For two days, she worked in silence. Nary a note was sounded. Muffled thuds and scrapes could be heard from below the pipe chamber. And three days in, just as the sexton and the pastor were becoming truly worried about what was going on, the organ burst into glorious sound. The pipes rang out over the valley, and when the sound of their beloved organ hit the ears of the villagers, they stopped what they were doing and listened. As they made their way to the church, it seemed that even the rocks and the trees of the mountains had burst into song along with the organ. And when finally the music stopped, one person asked the question that was on all of their minds. How 
had this old woman succeeded in repairing their organ when all the experts had failed. The woman smiled a sphinx-like smile and said, It was I who built this organ 50 years ago, and it was only I who could restore it. The God who hymned in the psalmist, the God who even now hymns us in, is the God of creation. The God who hymns us in is the God who has made us and the God who can restore us. And so it is that this God invites us to be awakened to wondrous things and to follow in the security of God's all-powerful love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
having heard the word of God preached and proclaimed, we are invited to now join our voices with believers across time and across the world by declaring together what we believe. Let us be hemmed together once more. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. When we feel scattered, the Lord hems us in. When we feel lonely, the Lord abides with us and calls us God's own. And so as Christ's church, we strive to do the same thing for one another, to pick up the pieces of each other's lives, to show up for one another with compassion and with presence. We gather our offerings this day as a means of hemming our lives to God and to one another. Come, let us bring the world back together. Our tithes and offerings will now be received.
loving God, we long to rest in the wonder of our own being. We long to feel the ways in which our lives are intricately tethered to the sacredness of all life. Bless these gifts that they may be used to affirm the inherent worthiness of all people. Hem our lives back to you this day. We pray in the name of Jesus, who abides with us in unending love. Amen. Let us join again together in prayer. Let us pray. God of possibility, God of hope, we give you thanks for this day. We have never seen this day before, and when it passes, we will never see it again. We thank you for this moment of life, and we thank you for the possibility of tomorrow. In the sacredness of this moment, we ask you to transform our thoughts. May our thoughts be like yours. Not once have you ever dreamed of a jail cell or a weapon. Not once have you ever dreamed of ceaseless production or mindless consumption. Your dreams, O oh God, have nothing to do with scraping for survival. Your dreams, O oh God, imagine a world transformed, a world that looks so unlike our world today. Remembering that Martin Luther King Jr. would have been 95 tomorrow, we dare to consider how he would have stirred us up, how he would have pressed us, what corporate empires he would have resisted, what wars he would have condemned, what policies he would have marched against. We dare to dream as wildly and as re revolutionarily as he did. Remembering how God used two pregnant women to topple empires, how God used a baby in a manger to flip the world on its head. We dare, O oh God, to dream of a different world, a world in which hunger is unknown, where scarcity is an illusion, where everyone has a place at the table. We dare to dream of a world in which generosity is the norm, where greed finds no foothold, and where there is more than enough for it all. We dare to dream of a world in which love rules, where compassion is the first response, and where there is no place for bigotry. So God, give us the courage to dream this day, to pray, to believe, to show up and be your people in action. Give us a vision of a church, a city, a country, a world transformed, even now, as we pray the prayer that your child taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The 139th Psalm is something of a hymn to wonder. And yet, what does it identify as wonderful? I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. So let us go alive to the wonder that God has placed before us. Alive to the wonder that God gives every human being. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.